Hey guys, I'm Andre Harrison, and welcome to episode 87 of the Most for One on podcast. We are taping this on Tuesday, May 23rd. Sadly, this is just one day after the tragic events of the bombings in Manchester. Our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody affected. Um, obviously, just an awful, awful tragedy indeed. Just didn't really feel like it was appropriate to have the usual jokey intro like we normally do on this show. You, again, given what probably going to come up in keeping it one one you'll also why i thought i'd be a bit more subdued on this week's occasion which is a shame because we have a really cool lineup this week and we have a great episode planned for you we just got to get through some of the tough stuff first on this one but um getting the housekeeping out of the way places you can find us we are on mostful101.net. If you haven't known that already, then where have you been? <laughs> if you're on Facebook, you're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Twitter at motorsport101. I'm sorry, motorsport underscore 101, I should say. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Check us out there for some cool financial perks, including early access to both this show and Bike Live, which there will be two episodes of this week i'll explain why in a minute but we have some cool guests with you on this one as you just get through the usual first week in the blue corner we have king whenever you're ready oh yeah your audio <laughs> dropped out for a bit i did not hear you i'm so sorry about that well yeah <laughs> it's it's yeah i'm glad to be on hopefully we can you know have a fun time on this podcast yeah, despite some difficulties, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, in the red corner, and he almost didn't make it, but uh, he's, he's, he's managed to, to get himself in just in time as, as he's celebrating his new job. Congratulations to Mr. Arjo O'Connell, sir. Thank you so much, and hello to everybody that's listening to this podcast, wherever you are in the world today. <laughs> Yay. And we have a guest with us as well, making her, well, yeah, her as a hint, making her Motorsport 101 debut. She is a contributor to the Grid Girls. You may have heard her wee Glaswegian accents on there on on a few occasions already. And, of course, she writes all the IndyCar reviews on there as well. And she's the world's biggest Jim Clark fan. (laughs) Say hello to Zoe Hamilton, everybody. (laughs) After Dario. (laughs) Of course, after Dario, of course. Let's get the ranking here right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Like, the power ranking list has to be sorted out first. I'll update it in due course. But welcome to Motorsport 101, Zoe. How are you? Thank you. I'm not bad. Just trying to make sure I have my pile of books at the ready. <laughs> yes. Like, Zoe is a, is a resident nerd. Like she, she gives King a, a good run for his money in the nerd stakes here. It's a good thing. Trust me. <laughs> We're here for all the librarians in history. It's all cool stuff. Right, taking that out of the way, let's get into Keeping It 101. And sadly, we have to start off on a, on a somber note. And this is a, a tragic one that has come through. It's why we didn't have a bike live this last week. Because people have asked, I've got a couple of emails saying, why wasn't there a bike live this week? Well, <clears throat> you may have seen what we put up there instead. And it was our interview from... Of, from from 2016 with Nicky Hayden, um, kind of, in a sense, in tribute to him. And since the upload of that um, interview we put up, sadly, he has succumbed to his injuries. He, he was the tragic victim of a 
cycling an accident while training in Italy, and five days later, he succumbed to his injuries in hospital after suffering severe brain damage as a result of the accident. It's obviously tragic. Nicky Hayden passing away at the age of 35, uh, the 2006 MotoGP world champion. And I know this one is going to hit me hard. It's hit King hard, and especially Mr. RJ O'Connell. Yeah, um, it's... I mean, RJ, this is just this is just awful. This is, there's no there's no beating around the bush here. This this is this sucks to say the least. Oh, I, I agree, and I've already talked to people who were huge Nicky Hayden fans. Admittedly, bigger Nicky Hayden fans than I was, uh, because there were times where I just kind of fell in and out of the sport, um, following it sporadically. But I always. I was always keeping track of Nicky Hayden, even going back to his days in AMA Superbikes when he was mm. the 2002 AMA Superbike champion. Uh, Superbike champion of America, basically. Um, had a dominant season that basically got him into MotoGP in 2003, just right up to the premier class. And, of course, won at its home track in Laguna Seca 2005. Uh, MotoGP has that entire race on YouTube in case you want to watch it in its entirety where he battles Colin Edwards for the victory of the race and ultimately comes out triumphant in an American one-two finish. Um, also, there's, of course, the build-up and the climax of the 2006 World Championship. Nikki Hayden beating a prime Valentino Rossi to become world champion. This kid from the middle of Kentucky with his very noticeable Southern drawl and just all, all the speed and all the grace and just all the kindness in the world. Really. Um, he was described as really just being the nicest world champion ever. And certainly that certainly that I can remember um, every, every account that I've heard of Nikki Hayden from people that knew him, that got a chance to meet him said he was just, just such an awesome dude. And, Mm-hmm. For me, uh, it's it's tough because like I don't really get too much into like America, yeah, for like sports and all that stuff because you know sometimes American exceptionalism can get tired out. But Americans in top level world class motorsport is uh, it, it's exceedingly rare. And since mm-hmm. Hayden stepped away from the premier class of MotoGP a couple of years ago, there hasn't really been anybody to take his place. You may recall that, you know, there's a lot of great American premier class champions of MotoGP going back from the days of Kenny Roberts to Wayne Rainey to Kevin Schwantz to Kevin Roberts Jr. And then eventually Nicky Hayden. But there's really hasn't been anybody to carry that torch since. So Mm -hmm. there really hasn't been anybody to fly the flag for us. Man, it's absolutely the closest I think we've come is Ben Spees, really. Yeah, I think I said the closest I think we've come to that since is Ben Spees, and I think by the time he got to MotoGP, I think his body had just uh, had broken down on him too many times. But uh, yeah, I I completely echo RJ's sentiments. Um, Every report that we've we've ever I've I've ever read about the game has always been exemplary, a, a real champion on and off the track um an incredibly nice guy i've talked about it i mean i put a video blog up on the channel regarding a, a brief one talking about nikki and i mentioned this story and i'll we'll mention it most most likely on bike live when we record that show tomorrow that um nikki is such a is, is such a class act and i remember when we got him as an interview on bike last year it's still probably the highlight of my career as a 
as a as a as a small broadcaster from outside of my bedroom. Um, I've had some pretty cool moments, but interviewing Nicky Hayden gave me genuine goosebumps, and it was. Again, he is such a nice dude. We actually we got his mobile number from the from the Honda PR team, and we actually called him up, and we were actually an hour early because we got the time zones wrong. We like, we forgot that he was in Texas, and we called him up an hour early. It was six in the morning in Texas when we called him, and we said, "Oh no, Nicky, we're so sorry. We'll call you back in an hour if you like." We'll do the interview right now. You just woken up. That's just the sort of dude that Nicky Hayden was. He he was just that sort of just exemplary good man. And obviously not to mention a, a damn good bike rider. One of the finest of this era. May, he may not have had the statistical greatness of guys like Valentino or Enzo or Mark Marquez, but he is an iconic figure. And one of the most important, like I said, bike riders of this era because... As 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 RJ says, he's pretty much the last bastion of of American bike racing at, at the highest level. Sure, we've got talent coming up like James Rispoli and PJ Jacobson that are in various junior classes, you know, in in Europe and around the world. But we've not had a a top tier American since Nicky Hayden and, and Ben Spees at the highest level. And the way it's going right now, I think we're going to be struggling on that department for a little while, unfortunately, because you know, the rise of Spain, Italy, and even Great Britain. Uh, as, as biking superpowers is, is starting to come to play, but Nicky was such an important figure for MotoGP in in the mid two thousands, and like again, as mentioned, a, a wonderful human being, and you know loved by all in the paddock. You, the tributes of, from those in MotoGP, out of MotoGP, those in Formula One, like from guys like Lewis Hamilton, have have, have come out and talked about what what a, what a good guy he was, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway talked about him at length as well, and. Again, we're gushing about what a, what an exemplary figure and ambassador he was for MotoGP. Is he, again, he's a MotoGP Hall of Famer, and for good reason because of his importance and basically putting MotoGP back on the map in the United States. And that is huge, and that is an influence that carried Dorna for a good while. I mean, it's easy to forget at one point they had three U.S. rounds on the calendar, and it was up there with Spain in levels of, pri- of priority and importance to, to, to Dorna, who run the series. And part of that was having a hometown success like Nicky around. And yeah, uh, we're going we're gonna to be missing him very dearly. And uh, gosh, I, I can't even imagine what World Superbikes is going to be like this weekend at Donington Park without him there. Um, one less bike on the grid, and that's going to be awful indeed. Rest in peace, Nicky Hayden. And uh, gosh, Godspeed, Kentucky kid. Ugh, just, uh, but uh, King, to lighten the mood, I know you wanted to talk about a particular Indy 500 particular because you know it's a it's kind of a big week in american motorsports so uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. talk to me about the 1996 indie oh oh can i can i tag team on this one for a bit yes. just, just like just like tag me in when whenever you need me king okay okay <laughs> well first we're what 21 years since that fateful 500 which I think a lot of people have come to kind of regard as was it really a 500 because of what had taken place in the months leading up to it and and what had occurred afterwards. I mean, today it's kind of like a joking remark because the driver who won that is also in the race this year, Buddy Lazier. And it's it's kind of easy to to point and say that, yeah... This 500 was not like any of the others. And that was mainly down to one big reason. 
the split had just taken place. Uh, Cart was no longer racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, ooh, RJ, would you say that the split would be, like, the most detrimental, like, the most detrimental thing ever to happen to American open wheel racing? It absolutely was. Like, um, the... The the television ratings for the Indianapolis 500 never recovered after 1996. Um, I can I can very vividly remembering getting very excited at six years old to watch my first Indianapolis 500 and to see Michael Andretti run the Indianapolis 500, only to realize, wait, they're going through the grid. Michael Andretti's not in this race. What the heck? Yes. Uh, and that's and that's the first time I learned about the split between uh, championship auto racing teams and the newly formed Indy Racing League. Yes, because the split between CART and the IRL, it, it didn't. It, it it reached that breaking point where there was a physical split in 1996, but before then there was there was a buildup over years that led to a split. Uh, Tony George, who was president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and also, you know, son of Tony of, of Tony Holman, the probably the guy who brought the Speedway to its prominence after the Second World War. Tony George wanted a bigger say of of how all of CART was run. He, essentially, CART, as it says, championship auto racing teams, was a racing series owned, controlled, and organized by team owners. Which obviously kind of shut some people out. So, uh, while every round was important, it was clear to everyone that the Indianapolis 500 is the big race. Today, it still is the big race. And Tony George wanted some control on the rules. Because effectively, he had no control over the rules of what cars would run run at Indianapolis. And where the series would head in the direction because of that. And there were complaints about CART. CART was not some golden series that that everyone enjoyed. Obviously, if you were a fan of open-wheel racing, you loved CART. They had extremely fast cars. They had big-name drivers. They were able to draw in big-name drivers from Europe, like Emerson Fittipaldi and, obviously, Nigel Mansell. But what what... People complained about CART. It was starting to get too expensive. CART in the 80s was like how Formula 1 is today. It was not a spec series. Everyone built their own car. Like, for right. the most... Everyone built their own car. Penske, like, Penske was probably the last holdout to continue building their own car in the 90s. And it just started getting more and more expensive. People started complaining. Then we had European manufacturers coming in to essentially capitalize on this market of people who wanted competitive cars. So we had uh, the Adrian Newey designed March cars come over in the, in during the eighties. And essentially if you wanted to win, you either, you either needed to be in a Penske or buy a March and the costs were going out of control. And a lot of people also did not like that instead of, you know, signing young, talented American drivers, they were t- hiring, uh, you know, big name, big market international stars. So we ended up seeing USAC, you know, the traditional dirt track racing, not be relevant to IndyCar anymore. Obviously, technology made that a thing, but the fact that they wanted open-wheel guys who were familiar with open-wheel cars, so we saw young American drivers like Jeff Gordon decide, I'm not going to IndyCar, I'm going to NASCAR. 
And that uh-huh. culminated in the split in 1996, where the IRL made their own series with with they took the Indianapolis 500 away, effectively. Uh, but at the 500, they were going to run year-old cart cars. But here was the catch. Uh, if you if you wanted to run in the 500, you pretty much had to be a full-time IRL team. Uh, 25 spots in the field were reserved for full-time Indy Racing League teams. Eight spots were reserved for cart teams. So on bump day, um, you had the entire cart field competing for eight spots. Oh, yeah. Um, let me just uh, pull up the uh, let me just pull up the top ten of the 1996 PPG IndyCar World Series and imagine um, Jimmy Vassar, series champion, Michael Andretti, Alex Zanardi, Alonzo Jr., Christian Fittipaldi, Jill DeFerrin, Bobby Rahal, Brian Herta, Rookie of the Year Greg Moore, and Scott Pruitt all having to fight for eight spots. Two of those names have to go home. Yeah, and in my and in my excitement, I forgot that Zanardi was the rookie of the year that year, not Greg Moore. I have already messed something up on this podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) Oh, and I didn't even mention Paul Tracy's not on this list. Emerson Fittipaldi's not on this list that I just mentioned. Because if if you like uh, sneakily plugged for 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 um Marshall Pruitt's podcast he does a career retrospective with Paul Tracy essentially like this was it for Paul Tracy Paul Tracy would never race in the IndyCar league or IndyCar series period in his career he would come eventually back to the 500 like in 2002 where he almost wins <laughs> But for that point on, he never he he is completely done with Tony George as like a series as like a series CEO. He does not want to go to IndyCar. Period. That is how burned some of these cart drivers feel by the Speedway over this. Hey, remind me um, when Paul Tracy made his debut in the IndyCar series later on in two thousand eight. Uh, which team did he race for? Uh, which team did he race for? Wasn't it one of his older? T- oh God! Why that would be? Why that would be one Vision Racing, founded by Anthony Holman George. Yeah, Anthony Holman George. <laughs> I'm guessing there's a relation there. That is, that is Mr. Tony. That is George. Tony George. Yeah. Ah, of course. <laughs> because because 2008, when the split finally ended, like there was nowhere else to race. I see, I see. Yeah, like uh, on the on his podcast, Paul Tracy wanted to end his career with Forsyth Racing and Champ Car. Like he just wanted to just race there for the rest of his career, but obviously the series went under. So yeah, but yeah, effectively the split caused the 1996 uh, field to have probably the least experienced field since the end of the Second World War. Ooh, buddy! Hmm. Like I think it was it was uh, the first Indianapolis 500 field that did not feature the reigning national champion since 1928. Wow! Yes, yes. And oh dear, it's it it was. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but didn't like car end up like doing a race on the same day to sort of fight against it and it kind of went wrong 
Oh, yes. The yes. U.S. 500 at Michigan International Speedway was held on the exact same day at the same time. And part, it began with a multi-car pile-up yes. on the final pace lap. Part two Bloody of the story. The other side of the split, the cart side. <laughs> they decided, hey... If we can't have our own big race at the end of the month of May, we'll make, you know, we'll make our own. We'll, we'll make our own. We'll call it the United States 500. And we'll revive one of the most revered trophy in American motorsport, the Vanderbilt Cup, to be our race trophy. Because, you know, it, it was literally the only championship trophy that could be even close to as prestigious as the Borg Warner trophy. And... They, they did their own thing. They had qualifying the weekend before, just like in Indianapolis. And uh, effectively, they did a whole lot of things to try to drive up ticket sales. They had, I think they had like over a dozen corporate sponsors. They had, uh, this was actually one of the first live events that you could order your tickets for by phone. Oh, wow. They also offered, if you got a US 500 ticket, which took place at Michigan International Speedway in Michigan, uh, you also got a uh, you also got a ticket to the race at Belle Isle in Detroit later that season. So you so if you get the US 500 ticket, you also get a free ticket to another race on the calendar. Nice. And they also, side, side to go. <laughs> um, what was attendance like? I know attendance was not well. They did not fill up the eighty thousand seat speedway as they hoped. And as RJ mentioned, the race started with a multi car pileup. Oh, it's ugly. As you do. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Vassar, Adrian Fernandez, Brian Herda were among the many cars involved. Um, there were several others involved in it as well. Um, interestingly enough, they have a long red flag. Some of the cars are able, some of the drivers are able to take backup cars. Jimmy Vassar ends up winning the race anyway in his backup. <laughs> yes, Jimmy Vassar wins the race in his backup to become the first United States 500 champion. I think they would try it for about two more years. Actually, when I say they try it for about three more years, but they move it away from May, they move it to July. Ah, <laughs> because it was, that much, it was that much of a failure. And also, the next year, instead of having you know the U.S. 500 the same weekend as the Indy 500, they have um, they have the they have a race at Gateway International Raceway in St. Louis the day before the 500 to try to get like some competitive event the same weekend. But yeah, between 1996 and 1999, uh, pretty much like yeah, pretty much no kart team takes place like no kart team races in the 500 in the Indianapolis 500. Damn. <laughs> so, because of that lack of talent, uh, we have the least experienced field since, you know, the World War. Uh, it's the lowest number of combined, fi like, 500 starts held by a lineup since 1932. So, it... Do I say it was a crapshoot that anyone could win? Like, this... This was also the, the same. This is also the same 500 that produced the current lap record. Yeah, Ari Leyendijk was really one of the handful of proven uh, drivers. He was a former Indianapolis 500 champion. He was a veteran, really one of the handful of like top tier guys uh, that the Indy Racing League had to build around. 
along with guys like Eddie Cheever, who was still passable, and Scott Brayton, who originally qualified on the pole position, but on May 17th during practice, he died in a horrific crash in turn two, and thus his pole position went to the young star that Tony George essentially built the Indy Racing League around, the 1995 USAC Triple Crown champion, one Tony Stewart. Yes. Smoke! Yes, Smoke, he was a rookie that year. Uh, his race did not go as well as he hoped, which, like, he ended up, you know, having to retire almost halfway through with an engine failure. Yeah, he was leading the race up until that point, and then the air just completely let out of the sails. Yes. So, yes. So, uh, uh, Line Dyke also accident. He didn't finish. So, we pretty much down to what they had hoped for, where it was mainly, it was largely a, a battle for the race win by three Americans, which was one of the big reasons they wanted to have the Indy Racing League to make Americans more prominent in the series. Yes, they. it ended up coming down to a two-car shootout between two uh, relative journeymen, Buddy Wazir and Davy Jones. Uh, Davy Jones, a former protege of A.J. Foyt. Davy Jones, who I believe, and I could double-check this, yes, he won the 24 Hours of Le Mans a month later, uh, driving for Tom Waukesha Racing. In a, in a Porsche with Alexander Wurtz and Manuel Reuter. So David Jones, pretty awesome dude, just not really proven at the 500 at this point. Neither was Buddy Lazier, whose best finish up to that point was a 14th place retirement in 1992. He had never finished the 500 and he'd failed to qualify four times. <laughs> so of course he wins the damn thing. <laughs> yes, he wins the thing in a last lap chase, just holding off uh, Davy Jones and winning it with a broken freaking back. Ouch. Yes, Buddy got it done. <laughs> and now he's the mocking figure we use every year when the quarterfinals come up. Yeah, like, it's funny how these things turn out. <laughs> like, no, not just qualifying. Did you not watch the banquet last year? <laughs> he commented no. that nobody, um, like after like Alex won and people at his hotel were talking about it. People didn't realize he had raced in it. Oh no! And it, it's not like it's not like Buddy Lazier won the ninety six five hundred and just faded away into obscurity. He was, you know, of like fairly decent driver. Like it's not like during the early years of kart because you know the field was relatively weak. He could be fairly competitive on a week to week basis. I think oh wow. Yeah, because um, he's actually the 2000 Indy Racing League champion, and he finished runner-up the next year. Oh. <laughs> so he was actually pretty good at one point. Are we... I think we also need to mention uh, the horrific accident in, like, I want to say it was the last or the second-to-last lap in which one dude actually drove clear underneath another dude's car as it had crashed into the fence. Yes, as uh, as replicated in the movie, Driven. Oh, for the love of God, so that's <laughs> where it came from. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I am proud to say I've never seen that movie. Probably for the best. <laughs> I have seen that movie. Um, 
one of these days we'll rip, we'll rip it to shreds because it is a terrible movie. But um, yes, it is a thing. They made a film about indie colors, so that's just a in this. And a god looks like he's a new god. It was originally supposed to be about Senna, and then they had a look at the script and they told him to get to fuck. <laughs> well, actually, actually, Bernie said not. Bernie basically said, I'm not giving you the rights to Formula One. And even if we did, we're going to price you the heck out of it. Yeah, also fun fact from that 500, that was also featured the highest female finishing driver until Danica Patrick, Lynn St. James, for just 13th. Bowling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, oof. Besides that, that 500, man, that was... Well, it was the last time that the kart cars saw the light of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is, I think we'll get to it. That's why there's, like, pretty much a, a divide between uh, Lime Dyke's record and everything after that, because cars will never be that fast at the Speedway again. Most likely. So there you go, kids. The, 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 the 1996 Indy 500. RJ, go on. You, you, you've been waiting for this. The Nashville Predators won the Western <laughs> Conference Finals and will play for the Stanley Cup later this week. I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, really? This is a team. This is a team. Yeah, this is a team that keep in mind was started up in really the least likely of expansion markets back in the late '90s, and for ten years, especially in Canada, people thought that professional hockey in Nashville at the NHL level would never work. You gotta keep in mind, at one point, Nashville sold their team to a dude who committed actual multi-million dollar fraud, and he is only the (laughs) second most hated owner or potential owner that the franchise has ever had. I'm pretty sure, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure, like, in terms of owners, for, like, NHL owners, he wasn't that bad. No, the, the, uh, the first place student question was, uh, the former CEO of Blackberry Phones, Jim Balsley, who had plans to move the team to Hamilton, Ontario. And people were very happy that this could have happened and that Nashville could have lost their team. <laughs> and that they were very bitter and sad when it didn't play out like that, even though Balsley was also breaking a whole bunch of rules. That, uh, that's, that, that's not you at all though, is it, RJ? No, no. And, and, um, and we don't mention that time where some guy like uh bought the New York Islanders with like no money. Yeah, <laughs> bought them with no money at all. Bought them with Back- no money. How? Fraud, fraud, and <laughs> a fraud trade. Yeah, yeah so, of course. Yeah, um, Nashville made probably the biggest trade of the season when they swapped. Um, their captain, their star defense for, for many, many years, Shea Weber, to the Montreal Canadiens in a one-for-one deal for Montreal star defenseman P.K. Subban, who was a lot more offensively gifted, he's a lot younger, um, analytics crowd likes his style of play better, and also P.K. Subban is just a bundle of fun, and he fits in right in with a team that has guys Amazing. like... Philip Forsberg, 30-goal scorer, um, another dude who was acquired in a ridiculous trade, which is Washington Capitals, in which we only had to give up veteran forward Martin Erat, who quickly uh, found himself playing in Russia because he couldn't hack it in the NHL anymore. Um, so we have Subban, we have Philip Forsberg, we have our veteran goaltender Pecorine, who is six foot five and an absolute brick wall, um, who has pretty much been carrying the team through some games especially the games that's where they actually clinched it because 
ironically, Nashville, a team that has gotten better in terms of driving the offensive tempo of a game, they had one of their worst games in terms of sustained offense. They only got 16 shots on net. That's not good in a 60-minute regulation hockey game. It isn't. No. <laughs> you know, I know that one. I'm not a hockey So the end result, Nashville, after a 20-year-long build, um, longer than a lot of these other expansion teams have gone through, because you got to understand that there are teams that have come into the league, what, teams like uh, the Florida Panthers got to play for a Stanley Cup in like their first handful of years of existence. The Colorado Avalanche won the Cup the first year they moved from Quebec City. Um, let's see. Minnesota got to the Western Conference Finals in the first few years of the Minnesota Wild. Um, Carolina won their first Stanley Cup in 10 years after they moved from Hartford, Connecticut. But for Nashville, it has been a long, long build. And finally... Um, with a well-established fan base and one of the loudest crowds. I mean, you should have seen some of the shots of the crowds gathered up in downtown Nashville, outside the arena, and in the downtown park watching the game. There had to have been as many people outside the arena as there were inside it, and it's a 17,000-seat arena. It's impressive. They have built, they've really built Nashville's team instead of a team that just happens to play in Nashville. And it's wonderful. They have a great identity. It's a fun team. Um, yeah. I'm really, really excited about the season. I'm kind of just torn between like, okay, this is the best season that we've ever had. And I'm pretty happy with the results. But now that the end goal, Lord Stanley's Cup is just four victories away, wouldn't it be awesome? They just won the whole gosh darn thing. Yeah. We wouldn't hear the end of it on this show. <laughs> Actually, fun fact, not only is the Stanley, going to the Stanley Cup is new for the city of Nashville, it's also new for the team itself. Only one player on the entire team has been to the Stanley Cup final before. Oh. <laughs> I want to say that's our captain, Mike Fisher, who wasn't even dressed for the game that they clinched. Yes, Mike Fisher, the captain. He's the only person to play in a Stanley Cup before. Uh, he played in the Stanley Cup in 2007 for the team that for the team that they beat to get to the Cup this year, the, the Anaheim Ducks. Oh, no. Um, Fisher played for their rivals, the Ottawa Senators, who oh, yeah, lost that... the Cup. And they end up playing Nashville for the Cup this year. Also, Mike Fisher is married to one Carrie Underwood. (laughs) Oh, so he is Nashville royalty for life no matter what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, you would love a team that plays um, Finn Balor's and Bobby Roode's themes after intermissions and whenever we win games. And where Rusev is a super fan of the team. Like, he is serious about it, y'all. And one of the players on the team shares the the real name of a WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I, feel, I feel bad for Xavier Woods. <laughs> well, wouldn't be the first guy that he's been involved in lately. Oh, my God. <laughs> <clears throat> that's, that's only for the wrestling fans out there. We are not going into what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> good news, your friend. Right. <laughs> oh, I will say this humbly. Good luck, my friend. I, I hope the National Predators win. I, I would love to see them pull off the big one, even if it means dedicating half an hour to RJ's victory speech on this podcast. You know what PK Subban's going to do with the cup if he brings if he uh, wins it this year? 
He's going to bring oh. it back to the Montreal Children's Hospital where he still continues to visit the kids and make donations a year after the trade because P.K. Subban is oh. awesome. He is a good dude. He is he is the goodest of good dudes. God bless him. Uh, I hope that guy wins. Right. Finally, before we move on to 500 stuff, our friend Wee Zoe went to Gay Paddy. Yes. Tell us more. <laughs> yes. Um, well, general admission was free, so I only oh, had okay. to... Yeah. Was, like, double-checking with the series, and I'm like, yes, it is, so got my flights and my my room and actually last year for Battersea I won tickets and a cup um travel so I just had to deal with getting a place. My flights and travels for Paris was the same as the um my flights and hotel for room for Paris is the same as the hotel for London. <laughs> you surprised? Really? Welcome to no. London bro. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love those good old fashionable London prices. <laughs> yes. Well, being the the sort of diehard fan and the only person I think who was there who wasn't supporting either a French team or a French driver. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was there at half seven with my Andretti Autosport banner. That is some dedication right there, people. Yes. And straight in, and you could, they had it, the the area, the fan area, was right beside the pit lanes. So oh, I yeah, just, yeah. I just walked along, like, admired the garages, until I got to Andretti Autosport, at which point, I, I waved my banner at them repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, I'm a fan! Yes. <laughs> to which I had someone, um, a member of the team run over, asked me, would I like it signed? Of course, yes. So they took it back over. And within about 10 minutes of me arriving at the track, my banner had been signed by Antonio and Robin. <laughs> Yay! Yes. My sons. Yes. How many sons do you have at this point, RJ? Not enough. <laughs> Clearly, they don't even have I mean, to be hey, living. I'm from Alabama, so. <laughs> <laughs> and say goodbye to our entire Alabama audience. Thanks a bunch, RJ. <laughs> Carry on, Zoe. But like, um, tweeted about how brilliant it was. To which Andretti Osborne, the team replied, the Formula E side of the team replied, keep an eye on our Twitter feed because we're doing something after practice. Oh. Which was, which was cut short. Well, it had a slight pause about 10 minutes in with when Sam Bird, or to the French commentators, Sunburn, it took Sunburn. me a while to figure out that was who they were talking about, mm-hmm. managed to put it into the barrier. So red flag, everyone came in and then not long afterwards, his teammate done the exact same thing. Lopez, no! Yes, it, it was quite something. Um, but after practice, and it was... The team tweeted out, first four fans over 18 to make it to the BMW stand will get a ride round the, the track in the BMW i8. Ooh. I was 
the only one who appeared for it. Oh, wow. I mean, not even the French fans, not like fans of any of the other teams just going, oh, look, I can get a free ride. Just me. (laughs) (laughs) So so the the interest was clearly very high for this. Nobody wanted a free ride. Well, I don't know if it was that or it was more the... They were all too busy following their French teams, their French drivers, to look at the other teams to see what the um, competitions they were doing. Or they, or they just don't, they just don't follow Andretti on Twitter. Yeah, very disappointing. But <laughs> as Phil, the the lovely PR person that I spoke to, said, as long as our our one Andretti fan got won it, it was okay. <laughs> we'll take it. Yes. <laughs> and I... oh my God, does that car go fast? Oh really? Yes, it's the the hybrid. Yeah, the BMW i8. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't think it would go that fast? I mean, you got a record that they record you going doing your lap, and I am basically sort of pinned to this seat with a sort of shot between absolute like awe and absolute fear. <laughs> it's like. Every time we get into a turn, it's like, oh dear God. And then it's like, okay, this is brilliant. Oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fast. Oh my God, a corner. Yes. Okay, can I say, I'd love to imagine you as an Indy 500 driver one day, just, just with that reaction alone. <laughs> <laughs> Wee! <Right>. Ah, corner! <laughs> ah, another corner! Okay, this is fine, this is fine. Ah! <laughs> That'd probably be my reaction if it was in the two-seater. <laughs> Oh really? Yes. Go on, Zoe. You I mean you wanted this? You wanted this to get brought up? Didn't you? Yes. Anyway. You, you, you may or may not have texted me about this. Yes. Yeah, I. I just thought it was amusing because I did quite look rather terrified at times, despite how incredible, amazing it was. I didn't quite realise how terrified I looked. Right. <laughs> All but, part of the plan. Yes. But for most of the day, for like qualifying for well, second practice for qualifying and the race, I sat outside the Andretti um, pit uh, garage and had a perfect view of the big screen that the podium was going to be on. Nice. For free. Not a bad way of going. Yes. The one last good bit was um, every year I've been to a race. I have given dear commentator Jack Nichols fudge or tablet. First year at Battersea, it was a store-bought one. Last year... <laughs> you gave him store-bought fudge. Wait a minute. <laughs> that sounds like the Battersea experience to me. <laughs> <laughs> this, well, at that point, it was kind of a very last minute, oh, I'm meeting up with all these other people. I should bring something with me. You're so it was polite. yes. You, you brought you brought a welcoming gift. Yes, the following year, I made a one kilogram Kilner jar worth of fudge and tablet for Jack to try and share with Dario and Nikki. Why do I suspect that didn't happen? Well, he insists it does, but I'm not entirely sure. So, <laughs> needless to say, when I said I was doing this race. I tweeted at him asking where was he going to be doing it and once he said he was, would he like me to get him some 
make him some tablet again. To which he replied, that stuff nearly killed me. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure, let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Dre can speak to how, how sweet my tablet is. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you some, and macaroon. You, you did, you did indeed, and it was indeed extremely sweet. And yeah, I got... <laughs> so, obviously trying to find him, I tweeted at him and didn't get response. And there's a porter cabin just beside the podium, which says commentary team. Oh. So, I'm trying to catch people coming out of it, and eventually I caught someone, and they went, no, that's the French lot, but why are you wanting Jack? So I explained to them the whole story, make tablet, is for Jack, and he went, hold on a sec, pulled out his phone and went, listen, this is a strange request, but can I bring someone round to the media centre? I've got a super fan of Jack. <laughs> That's gonna sound so weird on the phone. Yes, Jack Nichols as a super fan. Bring, bring her in. It's no big, it's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so myself and Emmers, um, Irish, um, who run helps run the Irish fan club for Formula E, end up going round to the media centre to meet Jack so I could give him tablet. <laughs> And he remembered because he went, we never quite discussed the difference between fudge and tablet. To which, if you're wondering, tablet is cooked, is heated to a higher boiling point, which means it crystallizes harder compared to fudge. Now you know. There you go, kids. The more you know. Yes. <laughs> Who said M101 isn't educational? <laughs> <laughs> and then it was back round to my spot beside the Andretti garage to watch the race. And cry. Oh dear. <laughs> Cry profusely as Antonio to cost it. Yeah, I I was yes. I, I kind of gave this yell of horror and everyone around me looked at me and I was like, Oh yeah. None of you is know why I'm upset at this. <laughs> Who is this is she an Andretti fan? <laughs> they exist. <laughs> I, I I heard so much about you in America. <laughs> <laughs> I must say my one bugbear for the team. My one only bugbear. They don't have any merchandise. Yeah. What? They don't How have is that mer- a thing? <laughs> I don't know, but they didn't have merchandise on the track. Meanwhile, Jaguar did. Jaguar had the most expensive merchandise because they're Jaguar. And it's I mean... Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I know Mitch Evans has some very devout fans, but I'm pretty sure even <laughs> they would maybe think second, have second thoughts of buying... A sort of rubber leather keychain and a nice black box for twenty euros. Ugh. Oh my god! Like, like basically seventeen quid for a keychain. Yes, that's a fucking joke. It, it was like a keychain or a, a sort of luggage tag. It was that sort of size. That's bullshit. Like, uh, I mean, all the t-shirts were like forty euros, apart from Jaguars, which was fifty. 50 euros for a t-shirt. Holy shit. Yes. I've the been one... to I've been to British Superbike rounds and now they're, they're, they're literally That's nuts. The other thing I would say was that the food like for sale at the track was probably cheaper than what you got in Paris or in Paris itself. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a good. <laughs> no, because it's. I think 
when I was sort of thinking back to how much they were sort of charging at Battersea, it kind of came out about the same price as they were charging at Battersea. But Paris is an expensive city when it comes to food. Of course, it's Paris. So, yes. <laughs> so yeah, it was actually cheaper to eat at the track than tea away from the track. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Besides that good experience though? Yes, fantastic. I'm possibly, hopefully going back next year. <laughs> Sweet. Unless they do have the, the really intelligent idea and bring a race to Glasgow for rain. You want a ra- wet race? Come to Glasgow. <laughs> it was raining in Glasgow while I was in Paris. There was a reason I was in Paris. You were trying to bring the rain with you so we could get the first Formula E wet race. Yes. Well, when I first checked, the, like at the start of the week, it was saying it was going to rain all day on Saturday. It was like, yes, I'm bringing the rain. And then by the end of it, it was like, I think we got a couple of spits of rain and that was it. It's like, yeah, like Zoe's got the rain dance going and it's like, just, just a couple of drops. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> that was probably, was that your way of trying to help out the rainfall, Zoe? Just, 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 just crying a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still, glad you had a good time. We'll talk a little bit more about Formula E later on in the show. And after the world's longest Keeping It 101 segment... <laughs> I think we'll talk about the Indy 500. It's kind of happening this weekend. So we'll talk about all the qualifying, practice, shenanigans, and all that good stuff. Right off this musical interlude. So this week was the practice and qualification week for the 101st running on brand of the Indianapolis 500. And we had qualifying this past Saturday and King, only three things in life are certain. Death, taxes, and Scott Dixon doing Scott Dixon things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know he's won a 500, but, you know, it's it's always surprising to see Scott Dixon do well in qualifying on an oval. Like, are we really surprised that Scott Dixon doing good at something at this point? Like, I, I was not surprised at this at all. <laughs> but, uh, but look, it's, like, it's Scott Dixon. He's Peter Perfect. He will do, he will find a way to get this done. And he did. In stunning fashion. <laughs> I mean, he was the first Australian-born person to, to win pole. Wait, Scott Dixon's from New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, he's New Zealand. But he, he was born in Australia. You, you, you better keep that a secret. That might get Dixon shot the next time he goes home. <laughs> no, wait. No, you can't tell him that. It's known. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah he was born in Brisbane. Uh-huh. His, his parents were racers, and they were racing in Australia at the time. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was that sort of thing. Stop ousting Scott Dixon's dirty <laughs> secret. It's the one thing that stops him from attaining true perfection. I want to see the birth, I want to see the birth certificate, Scott. <laughs> relevant but uh scott dixon in stunning fashion out like seemingly almost out of nowhere just like like i remember w- like watching the live reaction on twitter has happened and then the first lap comes through i think it was 
Yeah, and it he was, was like, the only driver at that point who had done a 232 on the first lap, and we were just like, oh, yo. Yeah, <laughs> because the, like, I'm pretty sure at that point, the only, like, what, the day before, the only person to go 231 went to the hospital? Yeah. More on that later. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Like, the only guy that was in the 232 on the initial qualifying run was one Sebastian Bourdais. So all of a sudden, next thing you know, there is half a dozen dudes running in the two dicks and one of only two guys in the entire session to have any lap at all over 232. I think Takuma Sato was the other one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, to, to, like Scott Dixon does his four-lap run. Average speed, 232.164. The highest overall average speed in an Indy 500 qualified session since the aforementioned 1996 Indy 500 we talked about a minute ago, back in the days when cars were on steroids. Yeah, so it is, it's effectively the modern era track record. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. And for, it's, it's worth mentioning, he was half a mile an hour faster than anybody else, which is three tenths of a second, which for Indy 500 levels over a a 10-mile a, a run is insane to be that much faster than everybody else. Yeah, there was a lot of fuss about, uh, for our international friends, that Indy 500 qualifying was somehow complicated. It's not necessarily <laughs> complicated. It's different, but it's not complicated. You want some complicated stuff. Uh, I, I think what made things, like, far too complicated is that on the international feed... Uh, the speeds are listed in kilometers per kilometers. hour. Yes, because apparently we can't handle miles per hour, even though it would make <laughs> sense because it's a 500 mile race. Yeah. So, like, why did it talk like, like, so it's like, oh, so now you choose to get the Europeans involved. <laughs> Just stick to America, America. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 232.1, an insane run from Scott Dixon to put him on pole ahead of. And the race called Twitter's going to love me for this one. Oval Master himself, Ed Carpenter. Oh, <laughs> As they call him, Daddy! Whoa, uh, whoa, it's just Dad. It's just Dad. Dre's making it weird. <laughs> I, I was going to say, oh, right, you course... the other Daddy? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's oh, by King, the way, that's Ryan King's daddy. By the way, guess who was back this weekend at Formula E? The EJ. Yeah. Yeah. Us. Eddie Jordan's back. Congratulations, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> uh, who knew adding two extra letters would make things? But uh, Uncle Ed, as I have to call him, like my nickname's a lot safer. Uncle Ed, <laughs> out there in second, the highest qualifying Chevy by some distance. And yeah, he was, I think he was the fastest in the initial first runs to separate the fast nine. I think Ed Carpenter was indeed fastest and wasn't quite able to carry that form into, into the fast nine, even though 231.6 is still pretty insane yeah. by anyone's measure. But uh, unfortunately, Dixon just absolutely crushed it on this occasion. Um, so Ed, Oval Master himself, Ed Carpenter in second place. Uh, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be in the mix for sure. Looking forward to seeing how he gets along in the race itself, but rounding off the third row, whew, Sarah Connor's boy. Yes, the <laughs> sophomore. Reigning, the sophomore and the reigning defend- in the 500 champion. 
Yes, the defending champion, Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi in third, 231.4. And, and everyone was, everyone just looked down and nodded. It was like, yeah, Alex Rossi is legit round here now. Oh, geez. <laughs> He's been legit every, pretty much every day of practice. He was really, really fast on Fast Friday and in, and on uh, the first day of qualifying. Like, for for everybody that felt like Rossi's win last year was the fluke, if he wins this year, it's not going to be just out of hope and a prayer. It's just gonna just gonna be because he's running laps around everybody. Like he looks good. Yeah, I can't he's even been. Remember the last time someone won the five hundred back to back? Elio. 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 Even on you that one, King Jeez. That <laughs> yeah, was a long time ago. Two thousand one, two thousand two was a long time ago. <laughs> Showing my age there a little bit. But, um, yeah, got Alexander Rossi in third. Again, again, he's been all week. Um, he's been up there in the upper echelon, and he's been making one Sarah Connors very smug indeed by rounding off the front row. Like, the man is legit. Like, it's, it's a terrifying force. Even his four laps themselves, less than a tenth between them, are pretty much across the board. Just ultra consistent from Alex Rossi all the way through. Definitely one to watch. Uh, for the for the big one itself, I'll talk around some of the betting odds. We'll get to that later on. There's some interesting stuff in there. But in 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 fourth, um, to most people's surprise and to my horror for a minute, King, who was it? Takuma Sato. Not now, Sato. Um, sorry, but uh, he was the other guy that had a two had a two two over the map, and everyone was like, "Uh oh, <laughs> wait a minute." <laughs> not Sato. Not now. Ooh. Okay. I think he brushed the walls a couple of times well on his on his two laps. He he brushed the walls and it slowed him down a little bit, but he was able to get away with it. Um but Takuba, still a darn solid run. I don't know how he had those two near misses and still ran two thirty one point three. Yeah. Sato's car has got some get up and go, and now it has a it has a primary sponsor for the race. Yay. Yay! This is, it, uh, it is Rough Home Mortgage. Uh, a great name to know when you need a hashtag mortgage. This is from their uh, Twitter bio. They're based in Indiana. Uh, they're also based in Fort Wayne, Warsaw, South Bend, Elkhart, Fishers, Carmel, and Plymouth. Hmm. There you go. Oh, oh yeah. Just below him on the second row. Apparently, some guy, you may have heard of him. I think he won a couple of F1 World Tour. Mentioned yeah, 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 might be a might be a national uh, auto racing hero in the country. Yeah, yeah. Even though, like, according to Spain, they don't know who he is. Which is Kianes Fernando Alonso, king of ever speak Spanish again. Uh, no, <laughs> Fernando Alonso qualified in his favorite spot on the grid. Five <laughs> hundred. We did yes. it, Sam. No, but the dr- not the just that. Um, they had to change his engine beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> they had to do a pre-qualifying engine change. It's the most on-brand Fernando Alonso Indy 500 experience ever. This was but so Did you see how long it took? Did oh you see God. how long it took? Hours. It took one hour and 14 minutes. How very Formula One. <laughs> But this whole thing was the was like the whole most Formula One thing ever, from the engine change to the. I still appreciate everyone involved that Fernando Alonso 
punching above his weight again because it's Fernando Alonso. But yeah, he's, he's not been mentioned very much at all over the course of this week. <clears throat> but um, still, by any means, And he's just realised he has to get up at six on Sunday. No! <laughs> if, if he wants to. <laughs> he's going to show up 15 minutes before the race starts to just rock up and then win the thing because it's Fernando Alonso. And that's, what, that's what Fernando Alonso does at this point. Well, he was saying he wasn't going to wake up at that time, and then someone yelled after him, yeah, but there's a cannon. (laughs) There's a cannon. That might be a problem. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, at 6am on race day, they fire a cannon. Why? Zoe, this changes everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they fire a cannon just because. <laughs> to let you know, it's 6am and you have six hours until race time. Lovely. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's worth mentioning. For real, for real talk, I can't stand the Alonso overcoverage, to be honest with you, because my point was, given how much we've all waxed lyrical about how good a driver Fernando Alonso why are any of you surprised he qualified this high? <laughs> yeah, like... What I was hoping for, like, my goal was, please don't qualify in the front row. Just anywhere but the front row. <laughs> we'll take my it. Hope, we'll my take hope fifth. was that he would qualify fifth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, guess it's, I guess it's fair to suggest, like, well, maybe you don't know how well Lons is going to do. He's never driven a noble competitively, but he does also have, like, the most imaginable resources that he can have at his disposal to help him get good at ovals. In a very yeah. short amount of time. It helps. He's done the most laps of anyone. He's one of only two drivers to have ha- done over 400 laps in practice, the other being Charlie Kimball. Yo, Nigel Mansell only qualified eighth when he made his debut in 1993. Yeah, only eighth. <laughs> only eighth. <laughs> yeah, not, I mean, it's, just, it's a shit to my comparison. <laughs> I mean, holy. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, like I've not been a fan of even like even my favorite broadcasters like Katie Hargett's defending this, and I'm like, like girl, you have to, even you have to admit it's coming on a bit strong now. But in any case, very impressive from Fernando Alonso. It's a very just, ima- just imagine how crazy the hype would be if they got a like a Jordan Taylor or a Kyle Busch involved. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm here for a Taylor Brothers attempt. I'm here for it. The fuma would be off the chain. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we have Lewis just... Hamilton driving via Snapchat. Oh, via NASCAR as well. But yeah, let's not let Fernando Alonso distract all of us from the fact that both Ed Carpenter racing cars qualified in the top in the in the first this two rows. This is in the front party <laughs> on the outside of row two, baby. <laughs> all it's my new catchphrase for him. All hail the mullet. Behold, J.R. Hildebrand in sixth place for Red Carpenter Racing. They put, uh, as, as J.R. himself put on Twitter, shout out to Ed Carpenter Racing for making some fastest hell cars. Um, <laughs> yeah, brilliant job from J.R. Hildebrand. It sounds like he's good at Indianapolis or something. Um, a 230.889 run to put himself in, in P6. Read off the rest of the fast nine real quick. Tony Kanaan, very quietly going about his business there in seventh place. For 230.828, ahead of Snapple Man himself, Marco Yay. Andretti. Yay, for the all hail Snapple it's Man. It's your son, Zoe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
What's the worst that could possibly happen? It is only Marco Man after all. Yes. Uh, uh, have you not heard of his last name before? <laughs> <clears throat> that might be a problem. Uh, but, I mean, it's not like I, I decide I was going to follow him after watching him come second in this race in 2006. Hey, but, but hey, but screw it. If 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 the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs can win World Series and Andretti can win a 500 again, goddammit. <laughs> We're not miracle workers, King. <laughs> Yeah, we need we need Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein can, can, needs to get hired by Michael Andretti right now. Can, can I just say, King? I, I just, if it me just finds it somewhat ironic that the man that set up Fernando Alonso's car ended up being point nine of a mile an hour slower than him. How how the tables have turned, Marco. You should not have volunteered for this. Man. <laughs> Look what you've done. <laughs> Look what you've unleashed he, upon the world. I mean, he he helps help uh, Jack Harvey's. He, he helped with checking Jack Harvey's car after they had to like completely re- redo his car, and he helped with Alexander's car last year as well. It's like he's a good sport, our Marco. Yes. <sighs> Sadly, to his own detriment. In this case, as he qualifies in eight for two thirty point four seven four, and then the first of the Penske's, Will Power, had to limp his way in with a two thirty point two run and. According to people like Tony Tony Z, who was saying that look, the Penske's are really struggling here, like, like I think he, I think Tony said he would do well to get to two twenty nine. So the fact he did a two thirty point two, given how much the Penske's have struggled, seems like a really impressive run in yeah. the circumstances from Will Power. Took us a <laughs> long way to get to the first Penske. Yeah, eighth place. Yeah, like, down, yeah, like, and it's going to take a while to get to the last. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first Penske, and before the first Penske, there are four of the six Andretti's. <laughs> kind of says it all, really. Um, running down the rest of the places real quick, Ryan Hunter Ray put up a 231.4 yeah. in tenth place, which outright would have put him in fourth place. But because of the shit draw he had in his original first run... Yes, basically, he would be one of the first guys out there with the track not really rubbing in. He drew the short straw, but that car is very, very fast indeed by the looks of it. Again, that would have been good enough for outright fourth. Unfortunately, he qualifies in 10th for 231.4. Ed Jones, what a job from him in the Dale Coyne car in 11th place with a 230.5. Well done to Ed Jones. His tremendous rookie season continues. Uh, Oriel Servia in 12th for the IL Racing in 12th ahead of Michaela Lotion you know, let's, in 13th. Let's pause, let's pause here. Yeah. I know you're going to get to the other car, but did Oriel Servia out-qualify the Ray Hall in the Ray Hall letter of Atlantic car? Why, yes, he did. <laughs> By two places. <laughs> so, Graham, about, about having that guy... Not happening, bro. Not happening. Yeah, Graham Rahal's season really, he really is still stuck in second gear, isn't it? Poor guy. <laughs> um, that's for saying. Yep, Oriole Servier at top. I was going to mention Michaela Lotion because holy shit, did you see that name Missy had the other day? Yeah, that oh Russian be mad. Goodness, that that mustn't be mad. Like a cook, and he had a couple of vicious snaps of oversteer. It's two hundred and twenty-five miles an hour. If you can on- count on Mikhail Lotion to provide one thing, it's going to provide um, absolute code brown moments at the Indianapolis <laughs> Motor Speedway. Code brown, new underwear required. Uh, yeah. Happy birthday, Has- man, hashtag code code brown moment is the new hashtag WrestleMania moment. 
<laughs> Co Brown, Co Brown. Happy birthday, Mikhail. Turned 30 yesterday. Um, ahead of Graham Rahal in 14th place. Good job from Max Chilton cracking the top 15. Maximum Chilton. Maximum Chilton in 15th. Ahead of, well, in this case, literally slightly above average, Charlie Kimball in 16th in 229.9. Ahead of my son. James Hinchcliffe, who continues to his, his 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 trip back down to Mediocreville in seventeenth place, ahead of Juan Pablo Montoya back for the month of May in eighteenth place, just out qualifying Helio Castroneves in nineteenth, who still has RJ magnificent hair. It really does. <laughs> Good job from Jay Howard in twentieth place. Sage Karam, our trash bag son, Joseph Newgarden in twenty. 20- of former championship leader Simon Pagano in 23rd. Yeah, yeah, let's 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 just pause for a bit. Jay Howard who has not driven this race in 6 years just outqualified the defending national champion Simon Pagano. What the heck? <laughs> what up Penske? <laughs> Penske is fuming. They like they it's like in Justice 2 they've been shackled in kryptonite handcuffs. But for, 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 for these 500 runs they're suddenly very fuming. Simon Pagano down in 23rd place. Um, the last of the Penske's, I believe, what looks of it. Yep, Carlos Munoz in 24 for Foyt Racing. Come on, come on, Foyt, give Munoz a good car. He's he's a perennial 500 contender, for God's sakes. Uh, Gabby Chavez in 25th for the for the Harding Racing team. Good effort from him. Connor Daly, uh, our, our small son, in 26th. Head of Jack Harvey in 27th. Pippa Mann in 28th. Our boy Spigot in 29th. Ahead of Buddy Lazier in 30th. The 1996 winner, of course. Sebastian Saavedra, or, or as Lizzie calls him, a hedgehog, in 31st place. Ahead of Zach Feach in 32nd. And James Davison, who is filling in for the unfortunate Sebastian Bourdain. Obviously did not set a time. And, well, we now know why. Because let's let's talk about it. Um, God, Sebastian Bourdain suffered what can only really be described as a horror crash. Yes, um, he was on what was seeming to be an immaculate run after setting on the first lap, the fastest, you know, lap of qualifying so far. Second lap, second fastest lap of qualifying so far. And then third lap, things went horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, we were all on a call watching this together and somebody was just like, no. And then I saw it and the car was suddenly upside down and in the wall. And I'm just like, yo, yeah, Sebastian Borde loses the front turn two, and he pretty hits the safer barrier wall almost dead on at 227 miles an hour. Um, terrifying. 100 Gs. A 100 yeah. G impact. That is just, it's, it's, it's nothing short of terrifying. It, like, I saw it in real time. I was streaming it on my phone on the way home from work. It was horrendous. My God, I, I, um, I was I was immediately fearing the worst. It was an awful accident. The car was upside down at one point. Luckily, Sebastian Borde was he never lost consciousness, which is amazing. He never lost consciousness. He was awake and alert the entire way. They were able to remove him from the car. They put him on a stretcher. He, he was he was moving throughout. He was sent to hospital. Um, turns out he had multiple fractures, including the pelvic area. Yes. And by the looks of it, his season is over, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, uh, on the bright side, like, the car held up, he survived. 
I think yeah. uh, journalist Marshall Pruitt, he kind of, he believes that the the fractures were caused by just the 100G force of his body pressing up against the seat restraints. Yeah, that's... Yeah, probably. That's probably, because, I mean, at that point, his body weighs something like 80 tons, so... Yeah. It's that's a lot of force for for um something's got to give there unfortunately and unfortunately it was it was Seb's pelvic bones poor guy but um you may have already seen him on Twitter up about and and, and walking short distances which given the state of that accident is a borderline miracle in itself um he's already come out and said thanks for all the supports he's he saw but most importantly he's okay. And, oh, my God. There have been other similar incidents where people did not walk away. I think it was, um, I think it was Sean Kelly, the statistician from, uh, for F1 on NBC, who, who basically remarked that, uh, Borde's crash would basically, the outcome would have been what would have been like if, uh, Gordon Smiley, who died in a horrific crash. It was almost shot for shot the same for Gordon Smiley's accident. Yes, and that's basically what would have happened if Smiley had had the safety advancements that we have now. Obviously, much stronger cars, the safer barrier in place, had next restraint systems. Um, yeah, it, it could have been so, so much worse. Indeed, and a testament to to the safer barrier, which did the Lord's work with that incident as well, the Zach Veach earlier in the week. Um, and I think somebody else had quite a big one. I think Joseph Newgarden had quite a big one as well. His car had to be rebuilt, but uh, the safer barrier is unbelievable. And of course, the safety team that the Indy uh, 500 have are unbelievable at what they do. It's uh, the, the same law that goes to every tree, every race. Yeah, ideally, ideally, every team should have their own. Every major racing series should have their own dedicated staff of safety crew and medical workers on staff at every race. Because I believe only IndyCar, NASCAR has introduced their own safety team recently. Besides that, only those two North American series are the only series in the world with uh, permanent safety teams. Indeed. And Will Buxton put out this little factoid. There was a there was a man from the safety team to tend to Sebastian 11 seconds after his car stopped moving. Yes. Which is incredible. Like that, that level of response can save a life. It saved James Hinchcliffe's <laughs> life. Just a couple of years ago, when he had his in Indianapolis, Bernardi's as well. No kidding. Yeah, the amount of blood lost there. I mean, everyone knows the stories. Bernardi was read was read the last rites. Um, yeah, it's to say the least. It's 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 ridiculous. But um, yeah, I, I mean, Vorday told told the press. Well, he told Marshall Pruitt that he's feeling pretty good. <laughs> As you do after slamming the wall at two twenty seven, you know. Jeez. Oh, of course, if this was an F one, we'd already have F one journalists demanding that he'd be ready for the race. Yeah, like, well, he's, he's, why isn't he back? Why isn't he back for Gateway? Yeah, Bruh. like uh, this is what he told the journalist who came by to see him. He he said, "I want to thank everyone, everybody, for the support and the messages. Uh, quite a few drivers have already dropped by. It's going to take time, but I'm feeling pretty good since the surgery. I'll be back at some point. I just don't know when yet." Indeed, I mean, most likely he's probably not going to be back this season. I think the Ford racing already announced they're going to name a replacement for the for Le Mans in due course. 
where so Bourdais is the defending champion of his class as well. And exactly. he just won the Daytona 24 hours earlier this year with that same driver lineup. Yeah, I remind that Sebastian Bourdais is the is one of the best drivers in history that you will never talk about. Um, but yeah, gosh, um, I'm awful of us here. Get well soon, Seb, of course. Um, but it looks like he's already on the men, which, you know, thank God, given the state of that accident, that accident was nothing short of absolutely horrendous was, to see in real time. That was probably <laughs> the worst accident I've I've seen at the Speedway since Mike Conway's incident. Mm. Oh god, that was terrifying. Uh, yeah. He basically drove along the the fence. Yeah, he went up into the fence. Yeah. Just kind of said um, it all really. But uh yeah. identical to Dan Weldon's only what side of the car went into the fence. Yeah. Oh, get well soon, Seb. Get well soon. Uh, all the best to him and the family. Um, hope to see him back in the car real soon, obviously, when he's fit and ready. We're not, we're not, having, not having any rushing going on here, Formula One. Um, <laughs> for, so, so, from, so from one ridiculous story to another. Um, yeah, everything everything is going fine. Scott Ditson takes the poll, and then we wake <laughs> up tomorrow morning, and oh my god! <laughs> Scott, Dario, are you alright? <laughs> Yes, Scott Dixon and Dario Franchitti were robbed at gunpoint at a Taco Bell drive-in. I cannot believe I've just uttered this sentence. It, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but here we are. Yeah, Scott Dixon and Dario Franchitti were, were held up at gunpoint by a 14 and a 15-year-old child who, who just happened to be holding guns. Um, Zoe, tell us more about this ridiculous incident. <laughs> Right. Well, according to Scott's mother, um, as you do, uh huh. Um, quite a lot. Obviously, there was quite a lot of speculation about what had happened. Um, it turned out that initially, it wasn't supposed to have just been Scott and da- Dario. Emma and Poppy were supposed to be going as well. However, Poppy changed her mind, so Emma decided not to go either, but left her bag in the car. Needless to say. <laughs> When they were asked to hand over money, there went Emma's purse. Yes, because Scoot was driving but didn't have his wallet on him. Scoot doesn't carry cash. <laughs> Scoot doesn't carry cash. According, according to his mother, Scott didn't take it seriously to start with when the gunman held a gun to his head. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Dixon is a madman! Now we know what. Now we know where the Australian in this family comes from. <laughs> the man is completely fearless. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> what the hell? They had already got Emma's wallet, and then they were asking for Scott and Dario's mobile phones. Scott said they didn't have their phones, and then a car came up behind them, and the robbers ran off. Wow! Yeah, the, the stories of going to a Taco Bell at eleven at night. <laughs> And as Sarah Connor's quite funnily put on Twitter, like, we got some hard issues to press here. What the hell were they doing at a Taco Bell? Hey, <laughs> hey, it was 11 o'clock. They were hungry. They wanted food. You know, you always got to stop by Taco Bell, for, Taco Bell for that hashtag fourth meal. Hashtag fourth meal. Like, to be fair, I do remember the famous story. I think it was Joe Flacco that of the, the night he won the Super Bowl. Like, I think he went to a Wendy's drive-in the same night. And the, and the cashier recognised him. It was hilarious. 
I think, yeah. I think, Mil, I think Mil Mickelson did it too. I think Mickelson went to McDonald's in his green jacket the day after he won it. Um, moral, and the moral, the moral of the story here is just go to IHOP. No, they need They weren't going to eat there. They need to bring the food back. You mean they couldn't have gone to Denny's? <laughs> But no, yes, yes, to, to conclude the stories, later that night, the the 14 and 15-year-old thieves were apprehended by the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, so everything is fine. Yeah, luckily, Scott Dixon and Dario Franchitti were fine to take selfies with Ray Scott with the next. Um... <laughs> Also, I gotta love that cheeky that cheeky tweet from, from Chip Ganassi. Looks like oh, yeah. that Taco Bell sponsorship deal we're working on is done now. <laughs> Chip Ganassi, the lighter side of armed robbery. Um, <laughs> who knew? But, um, luckily, Scott and Dario are absolutely fine. And now it's it's just a funny story more than anything else. I'm, I'm so basically we're now here for all these jokes. Yes, that everyone um, is okay. Everyone is okay, and um, Scott Dixon has balls the size of watermelons, um, <laughs> which you already kind of knew if you know Scott Dixon's ability to do everything well. But uh, that, that's that's news to me, basically. Like, holy shit! <laughs> Rob the gunpoint. Oh, this is just a prank. No, no big deal. <laughs> but we have one last IndyCar story that we need to talk to that is completely serious. We need to take it with all due respect. So with the serious, we we cut now to our serious director, Zoe Hamilton. <laughs> serious director, really? <laughs> that <Right>. was a joke. <laughs> okay. I was looking for my books for regard. I've got autobiographies. I've been looking for them. First stories from the driver, F1 drivers regarding their time at, at Indy. To which I think the best has well, one of the best has to be Graham Hill, right? Right. And uh, now lost page. Uh, We're a real professional outfit on this show, you guys. Yes. Real professional. Right. Um. This, like Graham, when he was describing what it was like, somebody wins Indy every year, but nobody can put doors on the loose anymore because that's one of the things I did over there <laughs> during what? the practice. <laughs> During the practice, one of the top organisers bumped into me and said, Hello, old man, what do you think of our little circuit here? Well, there are two things wrong with it, I told him. You run it the wrong way round, and there are no doors on the loos. It is the one place I like to be private, and I think it's embarrassing, indecent and undignified. By 6.30 the next morning, he had the whole lot fitted with doors. I think it was quite an achievement. <laughs> Graham Hill, ladies and gentlemen, he goes to India to get shit done. Oh <laughs> Literally. Wait, wait. <laughs> I didn't even realize <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed at myself with that one. I was like, go me. I didn't even realize that until I said it. I was like, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, go me. Um... <laughs> but that's not the only one. Go on. Right. As you know, as you, or as you may know, Colin Chapman was a bit of a cheapskate, would book um, hotels as late as possible, as cheap as possible, and would share with Jim. Jim's solution, um, to quote Chapman, yeah. you know I don't sleep well. Well, Jimmy went out of 
out on his own last night and I was woken up by him coming back into the room with some bird. I had to pretend to be asleep and they went into the bathroom. I couldn't believe it. They had a noisy shower together and then they both got into Jimmy's bed. By this time, I was not very happy. Then she said, what about him? Won't we wake him up? And do you know what Jimmy said? Don't worry about him. The silly bugger never wakes up. God knows what time I got to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) This was Colin complaining to um, Andrew Ferguson, the team manager. To which, later on that day, Jim went up to him and asked if he could get his own room from now on. (laughs) That's right. Jim, purposely... Afterwards... (laughs) basically had sex with someone in the same room as Colin Chapman so he could then ask for his own room rather than just asking for it in the first place. Oh no, what a terrible thing Jim Clark had to go Ah, that anime convention life. <laughs> <laughs> are you speaking from experience here, Roger? Um, no, I'm speaking from the experience of people I've had to room with. <laughs> so it, all those people in those sexy cosplaying outfits can't help themselves, can they? I guess not. <laughs> Clearly, I've been going to the wrong conventions. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Jim Clark. Um, I, I don't even know what to say in response to this one. Like, it's like it's like there's no doubt that he, he, he got to sleep with, a, with, I'm sure, an attractive woman in a hotel room, and got his own hotel room afterwards. There's no downside. <laughs> it's just the uh, fact that he couldn't just outright ask for his own hotel room. In the first place, no. He had, he had to bonk a woman first, then ask for a hotel room. Like, like, like that's blatantly inefficient. Yeah, he, he he had to make sure he got the he was he was gonna get that guaranteed yes from Colin. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna keep bringing these women back, you know, Colin. Like seriously, <laughs> like this, this is a threat. I will keep doing this. <laughs> Please, I just want my own room. <laughs> as long as it takes, bro. As long as it takes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Clark, Zoe Hamilton's hero. Uh, <laughs> and Darius. And Darius, of course, because Darius is an even bigger nerd for Jim Clark than Zoe is. I don't, even, I don't even know how that's possible, but here we are. So, one more thing before we move on from IndyCar. It's kind of a big deal in that fantasy league this week because in IndyCar, it's double points for the Indy 500. Yeah, it's, double it's, points! What, it's, it's double points and almost triple drivers. <laughs> You're picking 10 drivers to form your Indy 500 dream team for the IndyCar Fantasy. So, 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 for what it's worth, Ryan King, who's not mentioned this at all on this podcast, is currently ranked <laughs> second in the world. So, as a result, I have now formed hashtag the alliance to bring down Ryan King. Um, <laughs> I'm leading the campaign because I think I'm like tempting the leaderboard right now of our current league. Time to race the tweets which you can find on the fantasy.indycar.com. Remember, Highest non-podcaster gets a t-shirt. Hey, who doesn't love t-shirts? Prizes! Who doesn't love prizes? Right, so, King, run us through your all-star fantasy team. My (laughs) all-star fantasy team. Okay, it consists of ten drivers, beginning with one, the pole winner, Scott Dixon. Boo! Then I have... Boring! (laughs) Generic pick! (laughs) I have Alexander Rossi. uh, Uh Takuma Sato. J.R. Hildebrand, Ed Jones, Fernando Alonso, Sage Karam, James Hinchcliffe, Ryan Hunter-Ray, and Simon Pagano. 
You picked Pagano. Yes, I picked Pagano. Gotta get that safe pick. I know he's gonna want to finish this race. That is not a safe pick. <laughs> no, no, it's a safe pick because I know he's gonna score me solid points. That's what he's going into. He's going for the championship. He's going solid points. Whatever you say, King. <laughs> Even though this is around the Pagano's traditionally struggled on. Bothering <laughs> that time, maybe two years ago, where he may or may not have been on course to win until he knocked his own front wing off. <laughs> Okay, I'll run you down the, the team of Harrison All-Stars on this one. We, we start with Scott Dixon, the pole sitter. Highly exciting pick. Um, we have Will Power. Yeah, I picked Will Power. I took, took a gamble on the Chevy. Ryan hunter Ray, Captain America is in my team, alongside slightly above average Kimball. Yeah, I picked Charlie Kimball. <laughs> <laughs> like, my attitude now is I have to... I have to pick out a left field to have any chance of beating King now. So I have to hipster it up a little bit. So I'm going with Charlie Kimball. Remember, he that's, finished that's third That's not how this ago. works, Dre. There's like a maximum amount of points you can get. It doesn't matter who I pick. We still, You still need to get the most amount of points available. Yeah, and I think Charlie Kimball will score some good points. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> Charlie Kimball, Takuma Sato. I've picked Joseph Newgarden. Subject to change. <laughs> Gabby Chavez, Ed Carpenter, Uncle Ed is on the team, Alexander Rossi, and Ed Jones. That is Team Harrison going into the Indy 500, the 101 Indy 500. Here for it. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Heyman's SmackDown is private. uh, I'm sorry, I'm caught up in that 2004 WWE draft mode again. Um, I went Will Power, Ryan Hunter Ray, Juan Pablo Montoya. Ooh, Marco Andretti. Marco Andretti's probably... He might have another crushing, disappointing loss. He's got seven <laughs> top tens in his last 11 years. Yeah, he's not... He's, if he's not going to win the race, he's going to come agonizingly close and score a lot of points. Joseph Newgarden's on the team, of course. Sage is on my team. Ed Carpenter's on the team. Carmen Carpenter, uh, high risks because they are fast and they also don't have the greatest track record of actually making it to the finish, but hey, these are the risks that you take. Nobody Mikhail questions Lotion. special ed. <laughs> Speaking of risk, Mikhail Lotion, also on the team. Alexander Rossi and Fernando Alonso. You're, Everybody's you're, picking Alonso here, apart from... I did, I did not pick Alonso. Like, because, because at 60 bucks, he's a good value pick. How is 60 bucks a value pick? For Fernando Alonso, it is, it's a value pick. Uh, Especially when Dixie's 75. You make a good point there, unfortunately. <laughs> Zoe, have you got a team in yet? Yep. I have Will Power, Scott yep. Dixon, James Hinchcliffe, mm-hmm. my boy Marco, Joseph, mm-hmm. Sage, Spencer, Alex, Ed Jones, and Alonzo. <laughs> good team. Solid team. So, keep an eye on those guys as you're watching down Ryan will actually have some success. Yeah. Somehow I doubt it. Whoa, whoa. I just know RJ's gonna have a fun time watching the five hundred with my with Mikhail Lotion as one of his team members. As he takes out half the field and he spins out and never to be unlapped. Yeah, that, that was part of my strategy. It's like I really didn't want to pick I didn't want to have all my drivers on the same part of the on, on the same part of the grid. Cause you we all know early laps something big is gonna go down. Okay, the lotion will try one audacious overtake two men. 
four, and next thing you know, he's he's clipped Tony Kanan's back end again, and next thing you know, five guys are in the wall. <laughs> God. That's what's going to happen. Although, uh, looking at my team, I'm thinking, well, I think I'm already going to change 100. I'm not, I'm not so convinced on New Garden, especially at 60. But uh, you can check that out on fantasy.indycar.com. Remember, you can join at time to race the tweets. Check that out if you haven't already. Um, again, like I said, highest finisher that isn't a, po- a member of this podcast gets a free T-shirt. Hey, who doesn't love T-shirts? So, with that all wrapped up, should we talk about Formula E a little bit more? Let's talk about Formula E a little bit more. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hashtag Bwemi wins, lol. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about Formula E in Paris. And um, I love that my first bullet point in the set list was, so how many names can Zoe drop in the first five minutes? Way ahead of us on that one. That was yep. that was, that was was covered in keeping it 101. Zoe ticked off at least half a dozen. Well done, girl. <laughs> good, good, good job, good effort. Hashtag humble brag. Humble brag. And uh, well done. Oh, but I get to do that. <laughs> Very good. But um, King... Sebastian Bremi wins again. Yes. Uh, do I do I, I feel slightly even like ashamed to say my boy Sebastian Bremi wins again. Since when is he my boys? Renault is always my boys. Oh, of course. Boo this man. <laughs> Boo, Boo this man. man. <laughs> I'm virtually throwing a tomato at King's. <laughs> Boo this yeah. man. This. But uh, Bwemi wins a relatively comfortable, uh, a relatively comfortable Grand Prix in Paris, and he never really under too much trouble the entire way through. Um, he's just too good, King, by the looks of it. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's clearly a cut above everyone else. It's, it seems like Sebastian Sebastian Bwemi and Edams Renault are like just the perfect driver car combination for the series. It's terrifying. He's just too good right now. No one can stop him. Like, if, if everything goes to plan, no one's really got an answer for him. So much so, he's actually probably phoning it in. I mean, according to the timing screen, a certain certain Juan Maria Lopez was only 0.7 behind, but I think it could have easily been a lot more um, if, if, if he wanted to, if he wanted to be. But Bwemi uh, wins it relatively comfortably in the end. But arguably the biggest highlight of the Grand Prix was um so she thought should we let the the Andretti Fran explain just to just just to upset her a little bit is that is that too mean of me Zoe anyone um, <laughs> basically Antonio managed to do a dive and cleanly got round Lucas yeah which didn't sit well with Lucas because obviously this put him down to sixteenth. So he was still well out with the points and Sebastian was obviously running away with it. So he began to try aggressively get round Antonio. Which ended up being a late breaking 
dive at a corner, acting as if Antonio was going to suddenly vanish. Antonio did not, had nowhere to go besides into Lucas's car, into the, the, co- the turn, mm-hmm. bouncing off the turn, back into Lucas and crashing into the barrier. And I just yelled in horror. <laughs> oh dear. I, 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 on first glance, it's, it looks like Antonio's dive on him, but Luke clearly tried to make a move around the outside. And I don't know why he felt the need to squeeze Antonio that much. Like, I just, Lucas, what were you thinking? Like, it gets better. Because after the race, Lucas tried to blame Antonio for it. Yeah, it's like both guys blamed each other, which I thought was hilarious. It's like dropped like a, it's like someone's dropped a Bunsen burner and set the classroom on fire, and like the two guys that were in the room are pointing the fingers at each other. Like, like no, no, he did it. It was his fault. Although to be fair, one person had a bit less blame to claim than the other. Most likely, yeah. Lucas, like recently saying that Antonio didn't know what uh, was the word he used to, which. Um, Sassy, to say the least. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Um, so, guys, is it a clean sweep here that we're the bus for this one? Uh oh. Yeah. Antonio probably wishes this was still the fall of 2012. Most likely. Back to his GP three days. Or two days, which I should say, sorry. It's Formula V8, 3.5 days. That's what they call it now. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Those days. <laughs> it's not been a good time for Antonio this year. The, again, like he was like one of the real underdogs last year of the Amelin team that really struggled. But uh, Antonio had a habit of punching above its weight with it as a season one car. And now he's just suffering the most awful luck of basically being a not-so-English sandwich pressed up against a French wall. Um, by Lucas Degrassi, who basically rode like a desperate man this weekend, given that he knew the the pickle he was in, knowing that when he was at the front of the field and he was down in 15th place to start off with, and that, uh, yeah, knowing that, that, that it's going to be a hammer blow for his championship campaign. And, uh, yeah, Lucas not only... He, he got away with it, was he was able to drive away from that. Antonio wasn't, he was out. But Lucas was able to continue... Knowing he was a lap down, he, he after basically getting a drive-through penalty for uh, actually going under the minimum pit stop time, which I can't believe still happens in Formula E. Like, how, do you, <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> you, you just you just you just get a little too excited, and you just you just go a bit earlier than you thought you would. Are you being dreaded at where the previous races where they changed the times and they hadn't quite realised the times had been changed? Yes, how but... does this happen? <laughs> This is bonkers. I can't believe this is still a thing. That people are still getting the minimum pit stop time wrong. It's 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 atrocious. But um yeah, as as mentioned, um Lucas had a had a drive through penalty for um for going under the minimum pit stop time as I think as did Adam Carroll for the for the Jaguar team. But uh after that Lucas tries to set the fastest lap of the race, going he's a lap down, that's all he can really do to get to score even a precious point. And then he bins it, which just summed up Lucas's race more than anything else. Um, the unhappy Brazilian now is, I think, 33 points off the top of the championship as a result of Wemi pretty much winning the, taking the weekend at a canter <laughs> all the way through. 
Um, I, I think everyone in the title race is now pretty much saying, thank God um, Sebastian's missing New York, otherwise it might already be done, basically. Um, we've only got the three doubleheaders left now in Berlin, um, Brooklyn, and I think it's Montreal, the other one, King? Yes, Montreal, yeah, the Montreal. season finale. Season finale. Yeah, so... In other words, Lucas is now probably going to be praying to God. He, he, he pretty much probably has to double up at New York now to realistically have a chance, and that's no straightforward toss, given there's a lot of guys in there that are really strong, including John Eric Verne, who was on track for a home podium, was running in second, a comfortable second, and then his steering oh. fails on the final lap of the race. I just, just It wasn't just, the final lap. Oh, was it was it close to the end, though, wasn't it? It was close to the end. Um, Lucas crashed with like two lap, two or three laps to go and brought out the safety car that ended the race. Yeah. Um, John Eric Vern, oh, it had to have been just after the halfway point and brought yeah. out a safety car because of where it was. Mm-hmm. And then we had a couple of people manage to speed under the safety car. Including... <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> including <laughs> in including my my boy my remaining boy Robin French which lent a five second penalty um, time would be added at the end of the race so how mad were you at this point Zoe? I was kind of sat on the ground with my knees to my, my chin to my knees <laughs> small upset small upset Scottish girl <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear Again, just 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 petty stuff like again speeding under a safety car and going under the pit stop time. Driving standards, yo. Driving standards. Um, oh dear, uh, just not 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 the nicest weekend for Andretti. Sorry, Zoe. <laughs> like, well, it send did virtual kind of, hugs. <laughs> it did turn out not too bad because he was it was going when. The safety car came out for Lucas's uh, crash at the end. It did look like that was that he was going to end up outside the points after managing to get himself up to fifth. But right at the end, um, Daniel App's car just kind of died. Yeah. No, it wasn't out of power. It just died. (laughs) Yeah, like he he was. A non-finisher, but he's like he still finished. Still top, classified. Like he, yeah, he still he still classified as you know being thirteenth. Weird, but uh, yeah, as you said, Daniel Lap's car died on the final lap. Like it must have been some sort of short circuit or something. But yeah, he finished in for, sorry, finished in thirteenth place in the end. But- Everyone was sort of, sort of sitting behind him going, like, what's going on? And then they realised, no way, his car's dying. And everyone sort of dived round him to get to the finish. It's like, quick, out of the way! It's like, guys, he's not celebrating his win. Go around him! Yeah, and he was having such a consistent, like, season so far. Yeah, Apt to have been, like, the, the playful number two fiddle in the situation. Yeah, as you said. Uh, an unfortunate um, pseudo retirement, in so to speak. So, uh, quick rundown of the results: Sebastian Buemi wins in the end. Um, Lopez gets his first Formula E podium in second Pechino! place. It's his first Formula E podium in second place for DS Virgin Racing. 
And Nick Heinfeld, on his 40th birthday, rounds off the podium in third. He yes. doesn't look a day over 24. Yes. And <laughs> as, he, as he joins the pantheon of India's great national heroes, such as Jinder Mahal. <laughs> Why did I know I wouldn't go an episode without mentioning? Oh dear. Nick Heinfeld in third. Another great weekend for Mahindra. Third and fourth. Felix driver for higher Oprahfist in fourth place. Head of Nicholas Prost, who's still just hanging around those medium-level points there in fifth place. Three dams. Robin Frings in sixth, despite the penalty. Um, Nelson Piquet Jr. in seventh, way off the back, back of the field in the end. Tom Dillman in his Formula E debut. Brian Tommy Dillman! Yep, Tommy Dillman on his Formula E debut for Venturi. Eighth place, a solid points all for the Venturi team there. Ahead of Mitch Evans in ninth in the points again after Mexico. And Stefan Sarazan rounds off the points. Venturi in tenth, and Esteban Gutierrez back to his signature eleventh place finish. Oh, <laughs> he was another one who got the five second penalty for speeding under the yeah. safety car. Unfortunately, you know, he kind of got trapped behind Daniel Lapp's dying car. You know what? I'm fine with this. I'm fine with Esteban Gutierrez finishing eleventh in Formula E. It's, it's the brand. He has to finish in eleventh at some point, isn't he? <laughs> It had to happen, and now it has happened. Uh, Oliver Turvey in 12th, bad luck from him. Daniel Apps has mentioned his, his, his uh, dying car finishing in 13, technically still as a finisher. Head of Mike Conway in 14th, Adam Carroll in 15th, and the bird is the word, unfortunately, in 16th place. Um, the last of- car qualified, classified in the race. Bam, yep. bam, bam. Yeah, Lucas Degrassi, Jerome D'Ambrosio, sorry Lizzie, John Eric Verne, and Antonio Vixacosta of the four non-finishes. Um, going to the points leaderboard real quick, Sebastian Buemi leading the way comfortably now by 33 points over Lucas Degrassi. He's, he has 136. It's actually, no, it's 43 points, isn't it? Yeah, it's 43 yeah. points. My math is terrible. Sorry. Um, yeah, 43 points is the gap now. Wemmy ahead of Lucas Degrassi, in, who himself has got a 31-point advantage over Nicolas Prost, the best of the rest, in, in third, in 58. And Nick Heinfeld with 47. John Eric Verne and Felix tied for, for fifth on 40th. And then you've got Sam Bird, Nelson Piquet, uh, Lopez, and Apt rounding off the top 10. Any other cool stories or quick ones you want to share from Paris, Zoe? I, I feel like I need to point out that this is the first time my team has finished in the points since <laughs> Hong Kong. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> and as it goes, there there's, uh what, 150 points still left on the table. That means starting in Berlin, we're going to start seeing people be mathematically eliminated for the championship. Give it a round or two, Nicholas Frost will be out of the running real quick. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Six races to go, 150 plus points still on the table. Obviously, you've got, you've got to include pole position points and, and fast that points and all that good oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Because we might get another Battersea special. <laughs> I, love, I, still, I saw the highlight of that the other day. I remember when Seb and. Like Dario immediately going, he's gone for the accident. <laughs> he's no gone chill. for the accident. No I, chill from Dario. I was at the, I was at the um, grandstand beside that corner, and we just heard the fud, like the clunk of like the the chassis hitting, and we all looked and we just saw Boemi and um, Lucas's cars fly down the the escape road. It's like they crashed. Ah, of course they did. <laughs> 
it's, it's 1990 all over again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Lucas was making sure Sebastian failed to finish. <laughs> Crunch. So that will just about do it from Formula E in Paris. We'll, we'll come back next time around in Berlin for that one. Let's quickly head over to the news before we wrap up this week's show. Oh, the news, the news. Okay, quick news first. Um, Apparently, uh, former, well, damn, Grand Prix, former Grand Prix winner, Pastor and meme, and, and, and meme lord. <laughs> meme lord, Pastor Maldonado has revealed that he did have a contract offer for this year's Formula One season, but he turned it down because he believed that team was too uncompetitive. Guys, I wonder who it could be. Was it McLaren? <laughs> Probably. I mean, I mean, McLaren really do have to set their game down. Uh, their, their standards are just falling. Uh, not a team worthy of the caliber of a Venezuelan sporting hero in the form of Pastor Maldonado. Like, let's be real here. It, it, it was Salvo, wasn't it? I would be 150% okay with that. Yeah, it was probably Sauber. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then running over to also Sauber news. Um, Sauber has pretty much announced, well, two things. One, they didn't expect uh, Pascal Verline to be ready until Spain this year. And wow. two, uh, they are opening to running Japanese drivers for Honda. Of course they are. <laughs> this is news. Well, they they just want to, you know, publicly get that out there to say that, yeah, we're going to be running Honda into the next year, and uh, legit, uh, anything you want us to run, we'll run them. So they're going to be running Nobby next year? Uh, Master Sheets are out? out Prince Nobu! (laughs) Prince Nobu! I mean, if he has some some better, if he has some more races like that in Formula 2 that he had in Barcelona, I'd be completely okay with it. I'm pretty yeah, sure boy. after his GP2 season this year and Formula 2 you know, this year, he'll have enough points to get a super license. So, mm. so in other news, so King, tell us about Chase Carey and the fact the teams are, are groveling. Okay, yes, Chase Carey has told the press that, uh, one... Uh, the teams have pretty much told him that, yeah, can you please get, uh, you know, spending under control for us? Because we don't trust ourselves. We need to be protected from ourselves. The only reason we're spending so much money is because we see other teams spending, you know, just as much money. No, no, no. Like, you, you tell that guy to stop spending so much, then we'll stop spending. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much they've reached a point where it's pretty... It's been escalated far too much. They don't trust each other to to end spending. Yeah, because they don't want to lose their position in the grid. While at the same time, they feel like they have to spend because the other big teams are spending too. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like an infinite feedback loop of terrible things if you support Force India, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, interesting one. Like I, I joked in, in the set list, like, it's become self-aware. Kill it. Kill it with fire, basically. <laughs> Um, which I thought was a better bracket, still a better story than Alien Covenant. Yeah, yeah this, this story also has less uh, Michael Fassbender talking to himself and less inexplicable scenes where they're playing a fucking grade school recorder, <laughs> which had me in stitches laughing when I saw it in the theaters. Yep. 
So there you go. Yeah, um, quote from Alien, uh, Mrs... Co- Alien Covenant, by the way, would have been a much better movie if the story had just centered around Danny McBride's character and if it was just played off as an alternate universe version of Eastbound and Down. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, but okay, <laughs> quote from the CEO himself, we're on track to do everything we can to make sure we're enhancing F1, making the competition great, making the action great, improving the passing and other things. Let's not get too complicated so the fans can follow it. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. A very a very ambitious plan, but a plan nonetheless. Yeah, very so, ambitious. Speaking of top teams, Red Bull Racing have done some more Yes. Yes, because of the increased workload on one uh, Helmut Marco, uh, Helmut Marco has asked Red Bull to hire an additional talent scout for the team, and that talent scout is Yas Versaffen. Right, it's like this. This is like the Golden State Warriors, like hiring Levi scouts. It's like it's like what, so. What talent have you scouted out for us, Joss? Um. My son, and, um, uh, um, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it puts them in this weird position where, can you really trust the information that Yasser Staffan is telling you about young drivers? Because, uh, pretty much, like, he could be denying you someone who would potentially replace Max Verstappen. Yeah, this this Richard Versure guy, he's a he's definitely not on the caliber of a Max Verstappen. Certainly not a future Dutch Formula One world champion. I would just cut him from the team right away. <laughs> just yeah, just, just just get rid of him. Carlos Sainz is a threat. Kill him. Uh, basically, just, yeah, just, just like from scared. Marco himself. Uh, it's a question of time as there are clashes with junior races, so I can't see them, and so. Yeah, so he attends pretty much all the junior category races. Formula 3, uh, yeah, Formula 3, most of the F4 races. So basically they wanted someone to, to help the workload. And it says, uh, Yas was always closely involved in karting. Uh, he can not only coach drivers with, with its experience, but look at, you know, the uh, other teams. You sure, you sure you want Yas as a coach? Like he'll tell you, you're only allowed to overtake at this spot. Yes, and yes. And to talk to you if you take it, overtake anywhere else. The the, the end. That's constructive. The end of this quote: the success in the development phase that he managed with Max is obvious. Oh, <laughs> that's his son. That's kind of what he's meant to do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like okay, Red Bull are hiring from within. We get it. Okay, whatever, fine. Oof. We get it. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Although you do have to say, it's funny that it's not, it's basically Josh has got the job because of Max. It's not because of any other reason. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Look, look, look at Max putting, putting food back on the table. That, that'd be like if, uh, if McLaren hired Anthony Hamilton as a talent scout. Well, he found Paul DeResta, didn't he? <laughs> he, he totally found Paul DeResta. <laughs> that guy, he turned out all right, didn't he? Uh, I mean, Paul totally doesn't have two older cousins that were racers and... You know, yep. done well at Indianapolis and Le Mans. 
Mm-hmm. As you do. Okay, and another story. Uh, it's it's official. The election takes place in the fall, but uh, incumbent President John Tott has announced that he will run for a third term as president of the FIA. Gonna get all that road safety in, bro. Yep, quote from him. Today, I was proud to announce to all the FIA club presidents who, who vote in the election, my decision to run for a third ter- presidential term at the FIA. A lot of people who, who who voted for me are pushing me to go for another mandate. It's very all important. of them! <laughs> it is very important because I had a lot of resistance not to go for election. My decision would have made it would have been much easier because <laughs> wait my decision would be much easier because I will then decide that I will go <laughs> right so he's like um yeah the the people who voted for me the last time have decided uh they'd like me to run again so I'm going to run again <laughs> Yes, because he had such opposition last time. Yes, because... America just had it right. They just limited it to two terms per presidency. I mean, you got to trust America when it comes to uh, critical election (laughs) processes. Uh, Trust me on this one. It's going to be tremendous. Yes, tremendous. Uh, It's tremendous. But yeah. You can't see it, but I've just drop-kicked RJ for his his own house window. (laughs) Yes, yeah, so and I'm gonna I'm gonna bump through it like a prime Kurt Hennig. <laughs> during yes. during the last election, John Tott won unanimously after his opponent dropped out of the election due to pretty much overwhelming opposition to any of the things he wanted to implement. He wanted to make uh f he wanted to make the FIA more clear and transparent so the public knows what the FIA is trying to do and what they're actually doing because. You know, the FIA is totally not that. And he also (laughs) wanted to cut costs at the FIA by cutting down on, you know, the travel costs incurred by the club presidents of, you know, each national auto club, which the club presidents who vote for the president of the FIA also did not like. So obviously they did not want to vote for him. And John Tott did not like that his opponent wanted to also limit the amount of terms that the FIA president could serve to two. So John Tott, like, so if John Tott had one and the term limits would be put into place, um, you know, he would not be able to run for a third term as we're talking about right now. How dare he? (laughs) This is basically like FIFA a couple of years ago, where except Blatter was the only person to run for president of FIFA. So the ballot literally had a box for Set Blatter and no one else. Oh, just, just, it. Just, just so we're clear, like when I say John Tott was voted unanimously to win, there were zero abstentions. Like everyone voted for him. No one, no one fi- handed in a blank ballot. Yeah, the and trees. everywhere they were quickly marked in <laughs> and shot outside the building uh, <laughs> by firing squad. Truly, the Steph Curry of MVP awards there for the first time. <laughs> uh... But uh, one more story about it, King. Like a, a certain man is staying fur- even further on brand. Yes, <laughs> yes, we are all excited for the release of Lewis Hamilton, the energy drink. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I, I can confirm. I bought my first can today. It is, it is a solid uh, monster energy. Um, branded red. Um, I don't quite know what, don't quite 
I chose red for this one. It's, it's a weird. It's not really associated with anything to do with Hamilton, but you know, it's got the forty-four logo on it, the the triple stars for representing his three world titles. It's a it tastes of grape. It's 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 a it's it's, it's a nice energy drink, I must say. Um, people, have, yeah, people have asked me where. Like, apparently, no one can find. Like, like people say, oh, where are they? I haven't seen them yet. I'm like, listen, don't ask me, man. <laughs> yeah, like in the first place, Asilo Valentino one was the co-op in Glasgow, so I figured I'll stick my head in there. Nope, still haven't seen it. Still see the Valentino one, though. Yeah, the Valentino Rossi one apparently is still being sold from, like, 2014. Like, clearly the lemon is going down very well because it's bitter as he is. Um. (laughs) You know the reason why you can't find the Lewis Hamilton energy drink is because all the shop owners are clearly biased towards Nico Rosberg's uh, (laughs) brand-new can of Rockstar. Two on brand, two on brand. These Germans coming over here and taking over energy drink shelves. It's the worst news in the world. Um, so that'll just about do it for this week's Motorsport 101. Unless King interrupts me for the fifteenth time in a row. NASCAR oh, playoffs yeah. got a road uh, got a road course. Yeah, NASCAR playoffs literally. got a road course. That's the only breaking news. Um, I do we do have one singular mailbag question from go on from fan of the show Charlie Reginville, where it's like, uh, King, how does it feel to be so high in the fantasy standings? Do you have a nose? Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Enough! Stop rubbing this man's ego! He's insufferable! No! Charlie, I'm gonna find you and shoot you in Canada! God damn you! No, I'm not tolerating this. No more questions about King's Fantasy Team until it dies. Yes, quote, <laughs> I've, I've pulled up the tweet from the mailbag. Do you need a tissue? I'm worried you'll get a nosebleed from being so high up in Fantasy Indica. Or, or after he finished with his hand down his pants. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> he hasn't been like that since Michaela Schifrin last tweeted him. Uh, <laughs> that'll do it for this week's Motorsport 1. Zoe, tell the good people where they can find you. You can find me at WeZoe on Twitter, and if you go to goodgirls.com, I cover um, IndyCar races under uh, Twin Tracker fans or Spin. Yeah, find Zoe's good work on there. She's great. It's just about everything, and she's really good at making fudge. So, you know, that's only a bonus. She's automatically welcome back on any time for this alone. Um, the fact she's also a really, really cool journalist and shit only add to the, to the pile, really. Um, pleasure to have you on, Zoe. Welcome back anytime. I, Thank you. Uh, um, we had a blast. And of course, basically, you can find us real quick again, YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101, on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101, and our personal Twitters at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, and at We Zoe. That's in Scottish, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had to get that in there. Yes, of course I did. Like, I have to have one decent end of show joke. That's the rules. <laughs> yeah. But of course, if you really like us, you can back us on forward slash minus one including early access to both this show and two episodes of Bike Live. Just a heads up before we go, apologies there wasn't a Bike Live on last week. You can probably guess the reasons why. Um, it's worth mentioning, obviously, because of Nikki's condition, we didn't we didn't really feel it was comfortable to talk about talk about World Superbikes at Imola, given that was going on. There will be two shows this week. One talking about Nikki Hayden, and obviously his life is a tribute show to him with me, 
Lewis and Rebecca James on that show as well. That'll be a triple header for the first time this season. It's a shame it couldn't be over nicer reasons, but such is life. And there'll be a second show most likely up probably on the Sunday, I reckon. Talking about Le Mans as well, because obviously, what a fantastic friggin' MotoGP race that was. Um, shout out to Maverick Vinales on that one. So, all of that, it's going to be a stacked week of podcasts. You're probably going to be sick of my voice by the time we get to the end of the week. I apologize in advance for that one. But, but don't but, forget about Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. The Indy 500 and Day of Classics 2 will be well, live streamed. Well, 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 and the Monaco Grand Prix. I know we didn't mention it this entire show, but <laughs> Monaco is happening this year. That oh, was awesome. awesome. <laughs> Who cares about Monaco? Stop that shit. <laughs> Fernando Alonso drives the for one race as well. Apparently that's a... Um, yes. But yeah. JB. <laughs> JB is back. Yay for JB. But yes, Day of Classics Maybe 2. Maybe not so yachty. <laughs> yep, so look out. Depends YouTube. on the car. Yep. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101 for Day of Classics 2, the Monaco Grand Prix and the 101st running of the Indianapolis 500 live on YouTube with me, King, and goodness knows who else. It's going to be a blast. Tickets by the whole seat! You only need the edge! Thanks, Arjo. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Thanks, King. I forgot to plug that one, actually. My bad. Um, great job. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for this week's Monosport 101. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Zoe Hamilton. And until next time, catch you guys later. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Bye. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention how salty Graham was about there being points for qualifying. But who cares, because it's Graham. Graham Rahal is salty is also a day that ends in Y. <laughs> Graham Ram. <laughs> yes, Graham. The second most popular Graham to ever race at the Indianapolis 500. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs>